Amen. Thank you, musicians. Uh, if you would like to join me and open up your Bibles to Matthew chapter 21. Our parable we'll be reading tonight is found in Matthew 21, verses 28 through 32. Uh, and though it will be on the screen, we'll also be referencing a few of the texts just before it, and so it might be nice to have your Bible open as well, if you like. Matthew 21. Jesus says, What do you think? There was a man who had two sons. He went to the first and said, Son, go and work today in the vineyard. I will not, he answered. But later, he changed his mind and went. Then the father went to the other son, said the same thing, and he answered, I will, sir, but he did not go. Which of the two did what his father wanted? The first, they answered. Jesus said to them, truly I tell you, the tax collectors and prostitutes are entering the kingdom of God ahead of you. For John came to you to show you the way of righteousness, and you did not believe him. But the tax collectors and the prostitutes did. Even after you saw this, you did not repent and believe him. This too is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Um, so this is, this is a fun little parable. <laughs> um, this is uh, an interesting one. And I just, I wanted to start with this because this is, it'll frame what we talk about tonight. I don't know if you're ever like me, but sometimes you just really want proof. <laughs> like, I just really wish I could have one piece of irrefutable evidence that whenever anyone questions me about being a Christian or about Jesus, I could say, no, I, I absolutely 100% know for sure that I have this thing. And that may be true for us, but none of us have one thing that's true for everyone. I wish there was one piece, right? Just one thing that we could say, yes, Jesus was the Son of God. No matter what, this is what I believe and I have proof. Um, some of you know, somewhat jokingly and somewhat seriously, that I also kind of, not kind of, I do, I really want the same thing, and this is going to sound really pedantic or like I'm making light of it, but I'm not. I really want the same thing for Bigfoot, right? I just want one irrefutable video that Bigfoot is real, and then everyone can just get over it and we can move on with our lives, you know? Um, and I know that's sort of a goofy way to think about it, but really I think that many of the world and maybe often you and I, as Christians, treat Jesus like the Loch Ness Monster, or like Bigfoot, and we want proof. We think that the, the key to this is just having something that no one can take away from us. We want proof. And let me just comfort you a little bit in saying that if you've ever felt that way, you're not alone. That we've all been there. And in fact, this is the context for Jesus saying these words that we're reading tonight. If you look, Jesus starts the parable in verse 28 saying, what do you think? It's sort of an odd way to start a story. What he's actually doing is responding to what he was talking about with the, the elders and the scribes just before this. In the, in the section of scripture just beforehand, um, the, the leaders and the elders have come to him and said, hey, Jesus, by what authority are you doing these things? Like, like Who do you think you are? You need to explain this to us. And there's a discourse that Jesus has with them where he asks them a question about John the Baptist. And the short version is basically this. Jesus says, listen, if you can answer my question, I'll answer your question. And they can't answer his question, so then he says, listen, that I'm not going to tell you by what authority I do these things. He gives them a question they can't answer, 
And so he says, listen, you don't understand what authority I teach out of. But Jesus, in his infinite graciousness, actually then goes on to tell them this parable that explains it anyways. So he says, let me just do it this way, guys. What do you think about this? And so that's why he starts this in verse 28, this parable with a question. These people want proof, and he says, let me ask you what you guys think about something. There's a man who has two sons. The man has two sons, and the first one he goes to is and says, hey, it's go work in the vineyard. And so the father goes, and the, and the son's response is really interesting, right? I will not. <laughs> no. Okay. <clears throat> Fair enough. But Jesus apparently was short on time, and he just says, <laughs> but later he changed. He changed his mind, and he went. We don't know how long. We don't know if it was an hour later. We don't know if the dad gave him a stern look, and he changed his mind really quickly. I don't know. Jesus doesn't tell us. That's all Jesus tells us. At first he said no, and then, well, maybe I should go. And then the father goes to the other son, does the same. And this son, seemingly much better, yes, I will, sir. But then Jesus gives us the detail that this son, even though he says he will, not only doesn't go, but doesn't ever go and work. So Jesus asked the teachers of the law, really simple, which of these two did the father want? And they all answer the first. Of course, that makes sense. Right? At least the first one showed up. At least he was there. The first one, of course, lied or didn't do what he was supposed to do at first, but the second one, at least, the second one was what? Deceitful? Negligent? Unhelpful? I mean, just a liar? And any one of us would say, I'd rather have someone who was honest, says no and then yes, rather than says yes and then never does it. And so they answer, well, it must have been the first. <laughs> and then Jesus, <coughs> excuse me, there are times when Jesus sort of is really kind of coy with people. There are times when Jesus sort of kind of gets at his point a little slowly. And then there are times when it seems like Jesus just goes right for the throat. This is one of those times. He just goes right to it and just says, as we read, truly I tell you, the tax collectors and the prostitutes. He doesn't even just say a blanket statement of sinners, right? He says, the tax collectors and the prostitutes are entering the kingdom of God ahead of you. Verse 32, because you missed the signs, because you missed that John came to show you the way of righteousness, which is how he answers their initial questions because they asked him about John's baptism. He brings it back to the baptism of John and says John's baptism was the way of righteousness. He was leading people to repentance and you didn't believe him. And while you, the teachers of the law, the religious people, didn't believe him, there are some who did believe this John. And you know who it was? It was the tax collectors and the prostitutes and those like them. They turned from their ways and repented of their sin. And I look at this and I think, geez, Jesus, why do you have to be so intense? Right? Not only does Jesus compare them to this second son who's just an outward liar, who just never shows up at the vineyard when his father asks him, he compares them to the son, but then he, he doesn't even give him time to make the connection with the analogy. He just says, hey, by the way, these people whom you hate, whom you have spent your life distancing yourself from, whom you have thought of yourself as better than, better than your whole life, are going to enter the kingdom of God ahead of you. And for the Jews, we need to understand something too, that when Jesus said this, 
it was different than sort of what we think about. See, many of us come from a Protestant or evangelical mindset where we think about heaven, right? We're excited to get to heaven. We're excited to get this reward at the end of our life, right? But, but this wasn't necessarily how they would have thought of it back then. See, many religious leaders at this time actually were living very devout, rigid lives for the purpose of sort of bringing back the glory years of Israel, right? They wanted to, to, to have the kingdom of God come back where they were ruling and they were in power and they were rid of their Roman oppressors and that the Jews were basically leading and ruling their kingdom as God had promised them. And so they lived a very devout, rigid life for this explicit reason, to bring back the glory days of Israel through right living and through righteousness. But it was indeed very rigid. And they did have a concept of the afterlife, but it was different than you and I might think of heaven. So he's not saying to the the, the leaders, hey, these people are going to get to heaven before you. What he's saying is you have worked so hard to bring back some sort of, to usher in this, this kingdom of God, this era of righteousness, and what you don't get is that these people who you think are sinners understand more of what righteousness is than you ever will. Now, Jesus not only told them, no, you're wrong. Jesus said, the people you detest most, the people who are your enemies, are going to experience this thing you think you're getting before you. Clearly, this is a parable of judgment. He's judging the leaders, the religious leaders of the time. But the reason he's so intense here and we see this is because they came at him. They came at Jesus to disprove him. They wanted proof. They came to him and said, you need to prove to me so we will believe. And this is why I think Jesus is so intense. They come to him just like, and this is why I said, if you ever wanted proof, you're not alone. It's like every other person in history has said, I just need proof, right? And it started while he was still alive. While he was still alive doing miracles, people were coming to Jesus and saying, hey, I need irrefutable proof that you're the son of God. Like, by what authority are you doing these things? And this is what people still want. This is what many of us, if if we're honest, I've had this prayer, Jesus, just show me. Like, I, I need something. This is why I've said before, many of you remember me saying this, this is why I love Thomas. He said what everyone else was thinking. Show me the hands, and then I'll believe, because this is really difficult to believe sometimes. And so we look at this story, and we see, we see the Pharisees, or the elders, the leaders of Israel going to Jesus and saying, show me, show me proof. Just, Just show me how you can do these things. But Jesus, when people came to him, never gave him this proof, did he? He would continue to do miracles, he would teach, But people would go to him looking for an argument, looking for like the apologetics argument, like prove to me that this is real. Show me beyond a shadow of a doubt. And we look through Jesus' ministry and what does he give people? He gives them things about God, about faith. He performs miracles. He asks other people questions. But Jesus never really argues with anyone. Jesus never really sits down and says, okay, now I'm going to prove it to you. Even when Pilate accuses him, he says, yeah, okay, it's as you say. Because Jesus knew that his his job was not to prove it. Jesus knew his job was not to argue with people. Jesus' job was to point people to his heavenly Father who loved them. He claimed authority through his word, through his deeds, through how he lived his life. And then it's almost as if Jesus challenges people then to say, what are you going to do about it? 
I don't have to prove myself. What are you going to do about the things I'm saying and the things I'm doing? What is your response to me? When we look at the story of Jesus and we look at these things he says, I'm beyond, to be honest with you, I like to think of myself as the first son, right? Oh, I was, I was wandering away from Jesus, and now I love Jesus, and I've become a pastor, and life's so good. But if I'm honest, I'm very convicted that I'm much more like the second son. Maybe this is a question we can all ask ourselves. How are we acting? Which one are we? Because Jesus says the sinners, the tax collectors, the prostitutes, when they heard the message of Jesus, when they heard the message of baptism by John the Baptist, they repented, they turned from their sin, and they believed in the authority given to John through Jesus. They repented of their sins, and they were counted as righteous. But the teachers, the religious types, they said, yes, yes, I will go and work, but never came, never showed up. Let's first establish one thing that I just want to make clear. That when we look at this, that both sons have actually sinned, right? Both examples in this story are sinners. And this is one of the things I love about Christ is he doesn't ever escalate other people above others. He says, you all have sinned. You all have missed this, right? The first sin by first saying no, as many of us did when we first heard the message of Jesus, when we first heard about his saving grace, we said, this can't be real. This is too good to be true. I don't buy it. And many of us, through God's grace and, and, and through faith, were saved through repentance and turning. But the second son, he sins just the same, but just with the lie of his mouth and deceit. Right? We all have sinned according to the book of Romans and the Apostle Paul. And what Jesus is saying here is not that one is greater than the other, but who is the one who is wise enough to realize their fault and turn? Who is the one who, like the parable of the wedding banquet we talked about a few weeks ago, who is the one who comes with an attitude of pride towards God? And who is the one who comes with an attitude of humility towards God? What is your posture towards Christ? When you think about which son am I, what is your posture towards Jesus Christ? Do you come to him with humility, asking for grace and forgiveness? Or do you come to him with pride, saying, I need proof? By what authority, Jesus? Yeah, I'll tell people about you, but you need to prove it to me, because right now I just don't believe. Which child are we? And for those of you who are Christians, for those who identify as a follower of Jesus Christ, this is a very, very powerful indictment for us. This is a reminder, as Andy talked about just this morning, we ought not say we are one thing and then live another way. If you count yourself a Christian and a believer, this applies to you. You have said yes to working in the Father's vineyard, but will you actually go and do it? Will you go and serve? Practically, I just ask this, what kind of ministry are you involved in? Here or outside the church, what are you doing? What is the work you are doing? Where is the fruit in your life going to come from? How are you using your gifts, your ability, your time to serve God? Because if you identify as a Christian, this is what he's saying that we ought to do. How will we grow in this righteousness? James 2.24, Andy preached on it this morning says, you see that a person is considered righteous by what they do and not by faith alone. For the Christian, this is a big call. 
It's a simple question, but it's a big question. Are you working in the Father's vineyard? If you say you are a Christian, are you working in the Father's vineyard? For the non-Christian, the person who's considering Jesus, the person who's pursuing Jesus, the person even in this room who's saying, I'm not sure I'd say I'm a Christian, but I'm really spiritual, or I really like Jesus, and I'm really investigating Jesus. What a glorious invitation this is. Even for those of us who feel like we are Christians, but we have wandered away from his teachings, what a glorious invitation. You may have said no at first. You may still be saying no. You may still be turning and saying, no thanks, I don't want to work. But the invitation still remains. The invitation that was open to tax collectors and prostitutes. And let's not couch this in modern, comfortable language. Tax collectors were people who were traitors to their own nation. The Jewish tax collectors worked with the Roman government to cheat their neighbors and their friends out of money and gave it to foreign oppressors. These are lowly people and a prostitute, someone who is selling their own body. Who in the world could invite and forgive these types of people? This father does. This father gives this invitation and says, even after you say no, you absolutely can still return. You can absolutely still return to my vineyard. For the proud religious person, this is very hard. This is difficult. How can we count ourselves righteous? But for the humble, what a beautiful invitation from this father. What grace to be able to return and enter the father's fields and all that comes with being in the father's house. So yes, this is a parable for judgment to the Jewish leaders, but for today, for you and me, if you were religious, I would warn you. Let us be warned. For those who say you are a Christian, you have been warned. Do not say that you are a Christian and yet never go into the Father's fields to work. We cannot simply say yes to God. We must also go. And to those who don't know Jesus, to those maybe even in this room who are still thinking about this Jesus, let me tell you, this is the most beautiful invitation. That no matter where you have been, whether you are a traitor, whether you have given everything up, including yourself. Later, he changed his mind, and he went. Which of the two did his father want? The first. The ones who change their mind and go. We all might return. No matter where we are on this spectrum, it's our first time in a church building or we've never missed a Sunday since birth. It's simple. We respond the way people responded to the baptism of John the Jesus, to the or baptism of John the Baptist, the way people responded to the miracles of Jesus, to believe, to trust the things he was saying, to trust the person of Jesus, and go to him. Church, we may never have the proof we want, right? You may live your whole life. I've known people who have lived their whole lives saying, I just want that one nugget kernel of truth that that, that I can always use to, to explain my faith. And I've known people who have struggled with faith their entire lives and who've wanted that, who have desired that proof. But Jesus says to these Pharisees, these teachers of the law, when they wanted proof, he said, what matters is the turning. What matters is the repentance. What matters is the acceptance of God's invitation that you believe. Because what Jesus is calling us here, 
He is calling us here to faith. A faith that gives forgiveness for where we have been. A faith that gives freedom for our future. A faith that gives hope for the uncertainty of what's going to come. Church, we can have a faith in God that's all of us. We don't have to deceive ourselves by living a double life and saying we're one thing when we're not. All God asks us to do is to be honest. And if you have said no, that's fine. We've all said no at one time or another, but all he asks is that you would change your mind and follow him. (coughs) To those of us who are proud religious types, this is challenging. To those of us who are humble and realize that we need God to change us, This is the most glorious invitation we can ever hear. The invitation of a loving and generous God who says to us, come, come into my vineyard. Come and be with me. And my hope and my prayer for you is that wherever you are, wherever your friends are, wherever your family is, that they would know this invitation to be true. Through you, through your love, through your generosity, through your service, through your friendship, through your kindness, through your whatever it is. That we have a loving God who says to everybody, from the highest to the lowest, come, come and work today in the vineyard. Would you pray with me? Let's pray. Lord, we repent. We repent because every one of us at one point said, no, I don't want to work in the vineyard. And yet, God, when we changed our mind, there you were. There you were with open arms. God, thank you. Lord, thank you for your forgiveness. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for washing us clean. God, I pray that none of us would be so prideful that we have forgotten that you have forgiven us and that that is what we need most of all. God, I pray that our faith would be strengthened by your love for us. God, and that then our faith would motivate us to serve and love others, that they would hear this great invitation that we have found. Lord, your mercy will never end. Your love for us will never end. And so, God, we go forward with the hope and the assurance to know that you are good and that you have forgiven and will forgive and that we would find a home in you. Lord, thanks. May this not only be comforting, may this fill our hearts that we would go and share our hearts with others. Today, tomorrow, and forevermore, we pray. Amen.